Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Praise the Lord. It's awesome to be in the house of the Lord this morning. It's good to be back. Sister Cordell and I were invited to preach out in Anago last weekend, and we had an awesome time, an awesome move of God, and, 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 uh, and pie. So they were having their mother's Memorial Day auction the same day we were, so uh, we went ahead and participated, because far be it for me not to buy pie. So um, if you're a visitor in the house this morning, I want to welcome you today. You are very welcome, and as a matter of fact, as far as I'm concerned, if you decide to stay, you're family. And uh, amen, right? I transferred my notes over to the church this morning, or last night actually, via Dropbox, and I came in and the devil got in my computer and said, oh no, you're not going to get those notes, and I said, oh yes, I am going to get my notes, and now my microphone broke. That's okay. Anyway, if you're a guest in the house this morning, it is awesome to have you here. We are going to have a powerful time in the Lord this morning like we, already, like we already haven't had a powerful time. We love God in this church. We're not afraid to say it. We're not afraid to say the name Jesus. We're not afraid to say, I love you, Jesus. We are the people of the name Jesus. And he does powerful, wonderful works. Every single one of us has a testimony to give, and we're happy to share it with anyone who will hear. Back in the back hallway, just past the, uh, the offices back here, is our hospitality suite. And after service, if you're a guest, we'd love to have you come back and just say hi. We've got coffee and goodies back there, and we'd love to just say hi and meet you. Our, uh, oh, he left. He's not back there. Our family care pastor, Brother Steve, is here. Pastor Meyer and some of the other uh, staff would love to meet you and welcome you back into the, or welcome you back into the hospitality suite this morning. Uh, so that being said, I've had you stand in a while. Let's go to Joshua chapter 4. Sorry, Matthew, I didn't get you my scriptures because the devil got in my computer and I had to quickly run out and write everything by hand. Joshua chapter 4, starting at verse 10, says this, For the priests which bear the ark stood in the midst of Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to speak unto the people, according to all that Moses commanded Joshua. And the people hasted and passed over, and it came to pass, when all the people were clean, passed over, the ark of the Lord passed over, and the priests in the presence of the people. And the children of Reuben, and the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh passed over, armed before the children of Israel, as Moses spake unto them. About 40,000 prepared for war, passed over before the Lord unto battle to the plains of Jericho. You can be seated this morning. I'd like to talk to you this morning about prepared for battle. I am not going to apologize, but I have to say, God keeps pulling me back. He keeps pulling me back. I was talking to Sister Jen. I said, Jen, I can't give you a title. God's battling with me over this again, and I'm coming back to it, and there's a reason for it. All I can tell you is there a reason that God continues to bring me back on this track. He wants us prepared for battle. Verse 13 said that about 40,000 prepared for war as they passed over the Jordan. So you know the story. The Israelites had come out of Egypt. God had split the waters of the Red Sea and gave them dry ground to walk on, and they escaped. They were fleeing the armies of Egypt. They were not prepared for war. They were not prepared for battle. They were running for their very lives as quickly as they could. And so God split the waters of the Red Sea, and so much so, he actually dried up the ground. They walked on dry ground and ran from the armies of Egypt. 
and they fled into the wilderness. And you know the rest of the story. The, the armies of Egypt followed them into the sea. The sea consumed them and came down and, and, and Israel escaped. And as you, they went through the wilderness and you know the whole, the whole story, they passed through the wilderness and all the challenges they faced. And, and Moses went to Sinai and got the, 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 the law of the Lord and the, the tablets, etc. But see, he had always promised them the promised land. They were always seeking the promised land. But here's the thing. The promised land is not heaven. The promised land is the place where we're going to go living for God and the blessings that he had provided for us. Folks, you're living in the promised land right now. Up there is not the promised land. But he did not say that this land full of milk and honey would come easily. He didn't say that we were just going to stroll on in and everything was going to be fine. There were challenges. There were people that were living there. Canaanites and Moabites and Amalekites and all these ites were over there. And so when they came to the place of the Jordan, we know that Moses couldn't pass. He had given all the instruction and, and everything had been passed down to Joshua, now the leader of Israel. And so they had the Ark of the Covenant. I talked about it the last time I preached, that powerful Ark carried by the priests. And so they were instructed to step their feet into the water of the Jordan with the Ark. The priests were. Remember, you're the priests. Remember, Peter told us, you're the royal priesthood. You're the ones. We bear the Ark, right? And so they were told to step their feet into the Jordan. And when they did, that the power was there. They had the Ark on their shoulders and that God would split those waters one more time. Now I can preach a whole message on how those waters were representative of the waters of baptism, the redemptive power of Jesus Christ that were required in obedience to follow in the word of God. I'll talk about that a little bit later. But when the priest did that, the water subsided and God did it one more time. He dried up the ground. But see, this time they weren't running for their lives. This time they were rolling into promise. They were rolling into the things that God had laid out for them, the land of milk and honey, this land of Canaan that belonged to them, that he had promised them. And so this time, they understood what they were facing. They understood what the command was, and the Bible says that they were prepared for war. Not every single one of them, but those that would, those that God had called, those that were armed, they were prepared for war because they knew they were going to face battle. They knew that this thing wasn't going to come easily. God called you up here, some of you this morning. You're facing battles. You're in the battle right now. But see, sometimes I think the reason God's calling us this warrior thing he keeps giving me, he's not getting off of it. I'm just, if you're tired of hearing it, okay. But he's not getting off of it. Today is the day and now is the time God is calling us to a place to be warriors. This is not a social club. We're not here to get our Starbucks and sit down and hear a good story. Those were beautiful worship songs that we heard today. I'm so thankful for our worship team and the the, the spirit that calls in and that God moves and, and passes back and forth as we worship and we praise him. But that's not all that we're called here for. This is battleground, this is, this is camp, this is warrior camp right here. And God is saying to every single one of you, whosoever will, if you're prepared and you're ready, I'm preparing you for war. The battles are coming. What you face today, the things that you dealt with today, the things that are breaking your heart, those are battles. But see, and I make light of none of it, but you have to understand there's greater battles that are coming. The war is just beginning. And we need to harden and train and prepare. It doesn't mean that you're not going to get broken heart. It doesn't mean you're not going to have challenges and all those things. That's what this is for. That's why God said, don't start your preaching yet. Call these people up and begin the heart-mending process. Begin the chain-breaking process. 
But I'm telling you today, if you get a hold of this thing, if you get past the fact you're tired of hearing me talk about it and you get a hold of this thing and you decide in your heart, I can be a warrior for God. I can stand for God. Every time one of those challenges comes along, it isn't going to knock you flat on your back and take you out. You're going to get learned up. You're going to get trained up. Those muscles are going to be all primed up for knowing exactly what to do when you run into those battles. You see, that's what he's calling us for. The big battles are yet to come. Exodus chapter 15 and 3 says that the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Everything about what he calls us up to be has to do with being prepared for battle. He himself is a warrior. We talk often about the world that's surrounding us, the things that are going on, all these challenges that we're facing. Socialism is creeping into the United States once one more time. It's astonishing that for centuries, socialism and the like style of approach to government has destroyed people. It's literally the cause of the deaths of hundreds of millions of people. And yet it's at our doorstep right now. In our nation, this beautiful, awesome nation of freedom and liberty that God has given us. And yet there are people that are bringing that evil back in here. They're killing babies like the pagans of scripture time. The Balaks and the Balaams and the Amalekites. Murdering babies for the sake of what? To serve some God that we have nothing to do with. And we grieve and we weep for the things that are happening in our country. I told you last time I spoke, that's a distraction for us. It's not for us to get involved in that battle. I'm telling you, it's not. Our weapons of our warfare are not, they're not mighty. Excuse me, they're not swords and guns and and, and politics and and yelling at people and going in protester lines and all that. That's not our warfare. The weapons of our warfare are spiritual. They're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. If you don't like abortion, don't stand in a line and fight about it. Get yourself arrested. Get a hold of it and pray about it. Get some people who are willing to get on their knees day and night and pray and worship God and take a stronghold down. That's what we're called to do. Anti-Christianism is is flowing through this nation. If you refuse to bake a cake for an alternative lifestyle family, you, you lose your business. Now, you and I both know that we don't hate people like that. We don't, that's not our deal. We love everybody. And I'm going on record to say that I am not preaching against the people. We preach against the sin. We know that the sin is destructive and it's hurtful. It grieves God, this abomination that goes on in our country. But those poor souls that have gotten wrapped up in that deal. Well, I know some people are going to say they're born that way. And I understand. And I know there's all this, this, this sentiment and feeling and stuff like that. But that's why we can't be cruel. We can't be evil and mean to people. We've got to love people into the understanding of God. It's not up to us to change that culture, to change those people. It's up to us to love them. It's express the spirit of God and show them what God really wants. It's up to God to get a hold of their hearts and say, here's what I've got for you, precious soul. He loves them just as much as he loves you and me. But we have to understand, it's not our battle to go in there and say, what you're doing is wrong. The way you're dressing is wrong. you got to do it this way. It's our job to go in there and love them and share the spirit of God and the word of God. I'm tired of the devil setting the rules. I'm tired of him defining the rules of the game. We're going to start writing the rules of the game going forward. Here's the rules of the game. I'm not going to get dragged into some political battle, some sort of horrible thing. You're a hater. You're all this stuff. Just so they can tear our church apart. and No way. We're going to change the rules. We're going to love them into the kingdom. As best we possibly can.
cake makers and florists and all that kind of stuff that are under fire. And our, our government stands by and watches it and actually helps it along the way. Causes people to lose their business. What world do we live in? What country do we live in that this goes on? But I'll tell you this. I did a little bit of research. The worst persecution in the history of mankind in terms of Christians happened in the Roman Empire. And I'm talking about the most insidious, horrible things that they did to people and persecuting and murdering Christians. But look what happened to them. And this was not the Christians revolting against the Roman emperors. Nero, remember that guy, the guy that supposedly fiddled when Rome burned? Nero lost 30,000 of his subjects by pestilence. He had his armies utterly defeated in Britain, suffered a revolution in Armenia, and was so hated by the senators of Rome that they forced him to kill himself. That was the senators of Rome. Domitian was butchered by his own soldiers. Trajan died of a foul disease. Severus died miserably on a military campaign in Britain. Maximus was cut into pieces together with his own son. Decius died as an exile in a far country. Valerian was whipped to death by the king of Persia who captured him. Aurelian was killed by his own soldiers. Diocletian poisoned himself. And Maximum hanged himself. That's not Christians getting involved in the game and getting into politics and fighting all these fights. That's not the battle that God has called us to. That's not the war that we're prepared for. It has nothing to do with us. And the war that we fight is much greater and much more insidious and much more powerful. The war that we're called to is a spiritual battle. And if we're not warriors, if we're not prepared, if we're not trained up, If we don't exercise those muscles and we don't know, when that war comes to our door, when it comes to your family's door, are you going to be prepared? There's only so much that we can do. There's only so much that pastors can do. I can tell you a a dozen stories of people who just decided that this wasn't their deal and and, and they decided, I I can't do this anymore. I've got better things to do outside and, and, and leave church. And then... They're proud about it. Nope. Nope. I have enough of this. this, Nope. This isn't my deal. I'm going. And then inevitably, we receive that phone call. Oh, Pastor Kylie, some bad things have happened. Oh, Brother Cordell, can you pray for my family? I haven't seen you in two years. See, it's easy to get proud. It's easy to get all fired up. And head out into the battle totally unarmored, totally without weapons, totally without defense. And get sucked right into the battle and get pretty badly beat up. And it's amazing how humble those that go through that process are when they come back. And it's a very ugly thing. I've I've been in several conversations and situations and and I so desperately just want to say, well... Had you not done it in the first place, I'm just being real with you. We have enemies out there that are fighting spiritual battles that are affecting you every day. And I'm going to go back through this one more time. We need to be aware of the enemy. We need to understand. See, the, the soldiers of Israel that were crossing the Jordan understood. They, they knew who they were going to face. The spies went out. They had already talked to Rahab at Jericho. They knew what was going on. They knew what they were about to face. We need to know and understand our enemy, and our enemy is not an abortion doctor. 
That's a symptom. That's not the cause. I look at our media in this country, and I've talked about it before. Journalism. Journalism is dead in the United States, by the way. I'm just, I am unabashed about saying that. There is no such thing as journalism in the United States of America any longer. We have punditry and talking heads, and we have people that, that are basically a slanted voice box for one degree of, of, of politics in this country. Period. End of story. <laughs> I don't even have to prove it to you. All you have to do is just pay attention and listen, read a few articles and see what goes on. But we get wrapped up in that, right? All that stuff, and it it affects us and that we consume that stuff. But again, I want to say it's symptomatic of a greater issue. Our job is not to battle the media. Journalism is not your friend, and the information that you're getting there is wrong. And I want to go so far as to say this, they're an enemy of the state. They are an enemy of the country that God has blessed us with, and they are trying to change things. There is a concerted effort to modify this nation. The battle that we face in that situation is they're trying to strip the identity of this country away. And I'm talking about the God-fearing, just basically founded in godly principles aspect of the United States of America. I'm talking about liberty. I'm talking about your freedoms. I'm talking about the ability to stand up here and be able to preach the word of God and speak the name of Jesus. If this sounds extreme to you, I'm sorry. I I, I apologize for that part of it. I'm just giving you what's on my heart. You can call it opinion, whatever. I'm not reading that out of the Bible. God did not say journalism is dead. But that's a spiritual battle that we're facing, and we need to be prepared for it. It's going to continue. The media is going to propagate things that are going to come against the church. All these things that, that anything that happens with some of these extremist groups out there, they're going to flame it up. They're going to put it out there and say, see, these Christians are crazy, and they're radical, and they're doing all these terrible things. Make no mistake, they will be the voice box of the enemy. The prince and power of the air is the devil himself, and don't think that he's not influencing what they're doing. And that goes along with the entertainment industry as well. Distraction, coddling the people. Ralph Waldo Emerson once said, if you would rule the world, entertain them. People are more concerned about the size of their TV screen and how many video games they have and how many shows they've binged watched than they are about the things of God. And the poor folks of this nation who don't know God, the people who have not had a chance to experience him or have been led astray, are placated and pacified, sitting there, staring in front of their screens, drooling on themselves on all this wonderful entertainment, thousands of channels, tons of information, but then profanity and pornography and filth and evil and death and killing constantly pouring into their minds. Tell me that's not a spiritual battle. Tell me that every single day that you wake up, that there aren't voices in your head that you're battling with, things that are saying you're no good, you're not going to make it today, you're going to fail in your job, you're doing poorly, things are terrible, we're going to run out of money. Tell me that the devil isn't using your mind as a playground to fight the battle that really means something. That's what this is about. And so our minds, our precious minds, the playground potentially of the enemy. And sometimes we sit and we just fill it full of junk. We feed the machine, say, here, devil, here's some more stuff for you to use against me. Here's some more things that you can pound into my brain to tell me I'm terrible and the world's going down. I mean, if you watch nothing but death and destruction and and fighting and crime and all that stuff in media, how's that going to affect your outlook on life? 
Downtown Oconomowoc is not NCIS Miami or whatever it is. I hope you understand that I'm just trying to make such an important point about the preparation for battle that we need to understand. Academia is another one. I'm going to put this out there. I don't, I have no care what anybody thinks about what I'm about to say, but academia, and I'm talking about secondary education in this country, is a festering cancer of humanistic propaganda. That's it, period. That's all it is. They're think tanks of humanist propaganda, political influence. I read an article recently that said that 97%, 97% of university press professors are slanted completely in one direction, politically speaking. A grand majority of them profess to be agnostic or atheist. I tell you, I'm going to go on a run. I'm going to go on, when it comes time to spring, when it comes time to fall time, when, when, our, when our students are preparing to go to college, I'm going to run to every single church that I can, and I'm going to raise the red flag and say, parents, you better prepare. You better prepare that sweet little girl of yours, that sweet little boy of yours that you raised up in the church with Christian principles and Christian thoughts because they're waiting for them. They're waiting for them. They want your precious little daughter to come in there and say, oh, honey, now we got to start doing some changes here. Oh, you, you look very nice and very, very, very kind and gentle. No, 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 no. Have you tried alcohol yet? Have you tried this? Have, here, here's something for you to try. By the way, we got to lop off all your hair, and we got to slap some jewelry on you, and we got we to put stuff all over your face, and you got to dress slanky, and you got to behave a certain way. They're ready to just tear into our innocent children. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe in secondary education. I am not speaking against that. What I'm speaking about is that our children can be brought up as warriors in this thing as well, prepared to fight the battle because they're going to come after them. I preach it every year right before summertime. Corporate America is ready to devour your children. I've read the articles. I've stood up here and read the articles. Somebody in the audience is going, man, this guy is a kooky extremist. Holy smokes. I didn't know I was coming to a rally. You can call me extreme. You can say this is radical. Here's my question for you. Tell me where I'm wrong. I challenge anyone in this room, tell me where I'm wrong. Because I've, I've got evidence stacked to the ceiling to support exactly what I'm saying. I would never stand behind this pulpit and profess to know something that I don't know or say something that I have not personally experienced or done a lot of research on. And I'm telling you right now, academia is a destructive force in this country. You want to talk about an enemy of the state, that's another one of them. Radical, extremist, anti-God, anti-goodness, anti-freedom and liberty. Tell me where I'm wrong. We've got to prepare. We've got to be ready to deal with the fear and the doubt and things that come along with what we're doing here. Why are we here? Do you ever ask yourself that? Why do you come every week? Why do we bother doing this? Just to hear some good songs? Just to say, hey God, we came to church today. Just to feel like we punched our card and, and did a good deed, did a good thing. Pray a little bit. Or is there purpose to what we're doing? 
Are we preparing for battle? Because the battle that's coming isn't just a matter of defense. I'm not talking about a defensive position here. I'm not saying let's just brace ourselves and get ready for the attack on the church. That's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that a warrior crosses over the river Jordan and rushes to the enemy and says, we're going to take back our land. We're going to take back our territory. There's precious, wonderful souls out there, people who just haven't gotten a chance, who don't know God, who've just been given all kinds of different things. Their upbringing, their background has affected them so deeply and desperately, and they're just waiting, just waiting for someone to say, yes, there's hope. There's a hope in this thing, and that's the battle that we're going to do because we've got to fight through all that other stuff, and we've got to attack the enemy and beat them away from these precious babies that are waiting out there to hear the word of God. That's what the warrior in you should be saying. I want to stand up for the cordial. I want to fight the fight. I want to get out there and get after some of these folks. There's people in my family that are lost and dying and they need the word of God so desperately. That's the battle that I'm talking about preparing for today. Joel chapter 3. Matthew, if you can get us there. Joel chapter 3, verse 9. I'm going to read 9 through 12. Joel chapter 3 verse 9 says this. Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. Prepare war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble yourselves and come, all ye heathen, and gather yourselves together round about. Thither cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Let the heathen be wakened and come up the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I sit to judge all the heathen around about. Beat your plowshares into swords. Into swords. Swords. Weapons of battle. Your pruning hooks into spears. What it's basically saying is that we can be docile for so long. We're doing some planting in here, right? Okay, so we're, we're doing, there's a transition process happening and we're, we're doing some planting. God's moving us in a new direction at the same time. It's just his timing. That's the way it works out. We're doing some preparation. We've sort of brought the economy of the church together. We're kind of tightening up. What are we doing? What are these pastors doing? Pastor Meyer and myself and Pastor Mike and Brother Kylie. What are we doing? We're pulling the economy of the camp in and we're raising up warriors. Do you understand? Everything that we're doing is by design from God. We got to bring everybody into the circle and everybody that wants a sword we'll give them a sword and we'll put the armor on them and we'll teach them and we'll show them but see we got to bring it all together contract the economy and get everybody working in the same direction and understanding don't send them out there you want to know something when God when Jesus said that if he's got a hundred sheep and one of them walks away he'll leave the 99 and go chase the one. Why? Because the sheep that stay know what they're supposed to be doing. They stay tight in the flock. They keep on coming to church. They're here on Wednesday nights. They're here for prayer on Sunday mornings. They know what they're supposed to be doing. But there's always that one sheep, that one that for whatever reason starts to wander off. But why is he so desperate? Why is he willing to leave the flock to go get that one sheep? It's because he knows that one sheep by himself is in danger. That there's tremendous fight out there. There's battles that they're not prepared for. Vulnerable. So we're bringing the camp together, you see, and we're raising up warriors. I, I just wish you could see 
and I hope you do. Things are changing in this world. These aren't just words that we say. This isn't just something we're doing to sort of go along with the transition. New pastor, old pastor, okay, he's got to come up with a new idea. That's not it at all. God is calling us to prepare for war. And it's not against flesh and blood. But principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and high places... And we've got to open our eyes and live with intent and decide to put the armor of God on and be a warrior for what he's asking us to do. Isaiah 42 and 13 says, The Lord will march out like a champion, like a warrior. He will stir up his zeal with a shout. He will raise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. That's a promise to you and I. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Romans 8 says in 37. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 27 and 1. If you read the the whole chapter, Psalm 27, by the way. That is the fear chapter. If you're ever dealing with something, something comes over you at home, you're dealing with a problem and, and some kind of challenge is happening. It's not a church day. You're feeling lonely. Something's going on and suddenly fear strikes you. Oh my goodness, my bills, I can't pay that. I'm going to have a medical issue. Whatever it is, grab a hold of the word of God and get into Psalm chapter 27 and read it out loud. Shout it out if you have to. Shout that psalm out if you have to to beat back the devil because you need to recognize when these battles begin to climb into your brain and you're feeling depression or you're feeling hurt, you're feeling torn down or hopeless, you got to understand that there's a battle that's happening in your mind and you have to be a warrior and stand up and say, no, no more will I do this. And if you got to say it out loud, then shout it out. Back to Joshua 1 and 9. He says, have I not commanded you? This is God speaking through Joshua. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Man, even the United States Navy SEALs can't say that they got their whole group with them. The the generals are with them wherever they go. The President of the United States is not with them wherever they go. Every piece of equipment they have is not with them wherever they go. But what I'm telling you, what Joshua is saying there, is that wherever you are, alone, at home, at your job, traveling, whatever it is, all the power and all the might of all the armies of God are standing right next to you, prepared to do battle for you and with you. All of it, 100% of his power and his might and his glory are with you 100% of the time. All of it. That would be like every member of the armed forces of the United States with every piece of equipment, every airplane, battleship, nuclear missile, all of that stuff being with one Navy SEAL. You. And then multiply that 100 times over. Thank you. I appreciate that. Somebody got it. Psalm 1839 says, You are armed, excuse me, you armed me with strength for battle. You humbled my adversaries before me. The the strength there, understand, in these battles, the strength is up here, the mental strength. Which goes back to what I was saying a moment ago about all the stuff that we pump into our heads. 
Now, I understand there's things that we do for entertainment, and I know there's, you know, people like to watch a show and veg out once in a while. I, we watch kids' baking championship and have a lot of fun rooting for one little kid or the other. Mine never wins. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Sweet little girl from Minnesota. She's wonderful. Made the most phenomenal cupcakes I've ever seen. They voted her off. I was devastated. But God strengthened me for that battle. And I got over it. (laughs) When you're in the heat of the battle, when you're in the middle of it, that's when it's toughest. Let me share what the word says to you about that. 2 Chronicles 20 and 17 says, You will not need to fight in this battle. How about that? Remember the story of Jehoshaphat? I shared with you before. They just praised and worshipped and fasted. Three armies of enemies were dead. I'd like to get into a place of faith and power through my fasting and prayer that I can just go, okay, God, and all my enemies are slain. Just like that. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position. And see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. You see, as a soldier, as a warrior, when you're in the heat of it, when you're starting to march it right into the battlefield, there's going to be that temptation. You're going to want to turn and run. You're going to say, forget this stuff. You're going to want to pull a Peter. Nope, I don't know God. Nope, Jesus, don't know him. (laughs) That temptation is going to be there. And you're going to feel like, well, if I run, I'll be safe. I'll, I'll, I'll escape. But here's the deal. The spiritual battle will follow you. And then it gets bigger. See, I'm telling you, you want, you want to take Goliath out. Because if you remember the story, there was a whole lot of dudes standing behind Goliath, ready to slaughter the armies of Israel. You want to take Goliath out. You want to have that spiritual battle. You're going to be tempted to run. You're going to get shaky need. Anybody here uh, see the, the movie The Patriot with Mel Gibson? You remember the scene when they were doing the final battle against Cornwallis? Oh, man. Those guns started blazing and the British Army started marching down. Sure enough, they started to run. Benjamin Martin went up there and grabbed the flag, stood up on the doorstep of that crushed building, started waving it. Hold the line! Hold the line! Well, this pastor is going to stand up on these steps. And every time I see you waver, every time I see you struggle, every time I feel in the house of God that there's weight and there's heaviness and there's depression, challenge, I'm going to say, forget this message stuff, forget what we have to do, and I'm going to stand on this platform, and I'm going to wave that flag, and I'm going to say, hold the line, hold the line, there's hope, there's hope, and I've got some of it for you right here, and I'm going to rally the troops. I understand, I'm not going to criticize you, you're not going to be shot. Psalm 27 and 3, back to, my, that, back to that chapter, says, Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. Powerful, powerful. They'll besiege you. You'll be covered. There'll be problems. And they're going to get greater. And they're going to get bigger, more challenging. But you can be confident. Know these words. Know these scriptures. Be a warrior. 
Deuteronomy 31 and 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For, fear, for the Lord, your God, goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Again, just a reinforcement of the same message. But here's the best part of it all. The best part of being a warrior. Your victory is assured. Thank you. Can, did anybody hear that? Silence, turn this up. No, I'm kidding. No, don't do it. It'll squeal. He started to go turn it up. It's very obedient. Your victory is assured. The victory is assured. We've already won. I'm telling you, you well, no, so I've had friends die of cancer. I had my, my mother passed away. My, this situation happened. We lost our house a couple years ago. Are you alive? Are you breathing? Do you have strength in your body? Do you have the ability to say Jesus, praise him, live on? We live in the richest country on planet Earth. Even my cardboard box would probably be better than 95% of the third world. Our victory is assured. But Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and 11 says that the race is not given to the swift or to the strong, but to he who endures to the end. You've got to endure. And what I'm here to tell you today, what this whole message is about, is that if you become a warrior, you put on the armor of God, you take a hold of the sword, you put on the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel, I'm telling you, you're going to have a greater chance of enduring the battle if you become a warrior. You've got to stand up and say, yes, I sign up. I will do it. Uncle Sam is saying, I want you. And you got to stand up and say, yes, I'm in the war. Because if you hang tight for a little bit, if you just say, well, I'm going to be a private citizen for just a little bit longer. I like things the way they are, just kind of status quo. I'm telling you, folks, the wave is going to come. You're going to get besieged by the enemy. See, we think we know how to handle it right now because all we have in frame of reference is what we have right now. And you say, well, Brother Cordell, I haven't been much of a warrior, but I'm okay like I am. I mean, it's been going all right. I'm okay. <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm telling you, God is saying that the battle is coming. If we as pastors do not encourage you to prepare for war, we are failing you as leaders. Micah chapter 7 Verse 8 says, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be light unto me. These are promises to warriors. These are promises to those that are in the battle. If you're a sideline watcher, there must be another part of the Bible that I'm not aware of that speaks for you. Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 1. Matthew, if you can grab that one. Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 1. When thou goest out to battle against thine enemies, and seest horses and chariots, and a people more than thou, be not afraid of them, for the Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be, when ye are come nigh unto the battle, and the priest shall approach and speak unto the people, and shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel, ye approach this day unto battle against your enemies. Let not your hearts faint, fear not, do not tremble, neither be terrified because of them. 
For the Lord, your God, is he that goeth with you and fight for you against your enemies to save you. I'm here to tell you today, if you hang in there, he's going to be right there in the battle. And most of the time, he's going to fight it for you. Those of you that know what I'm talking about, that have been on fire for God, that are living the warrior's life, you don't even know the battles that have already been taken care of before you ever got there. I'm here to say that he's promising you today, if you become a warrior, if you prepare for war, if you get ready for battle, there's going to be things that he's going to slay before they ever reach your doorstep. And I know that because I've been testified and I've seen it happen in my own life. I'm telling you today, let him get out in front of you and do the battle for you. But you got to stand up. Stand up this morning. You've got to stand up and say, yes, I'm a warrior. Yes, I'm going to prepare for battle. I'm telling you, one of these days, he's going to split that eastern sky and he's coming back for his warriors. The Bible says that he's waiting for his warriors, his champions. And if you get ready and you get into the battle, I'm telling you, he's going to split that sky and he's coming back for you. Matthew 24 and 27. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west. And I'm closing. If I can get some, uh, some uh, uh, musicians up here. Excuse me. Shineth even unto the west. Show also the coming of the Son of Man be. Down to verse 30 it says, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. That is the promise that's for you today. If you take the step, if you sign up, if you say, yes, I'm going to be a warrior. I'm going to prepare for battle. But you got to do it, folks. you got to do it. In Jesus' name. I'm telling you, there's a favorite song that I always like to sing. I'm sorry to throw this guys at you, but I just was inspired. I know, I'm fired. We used to sing this all the time. It was called, It's Gonna Be Worth It All. And I'm here to tell you today. You guys want to sing a little bit of It's Gonna Be Worth It All? And then I'd like to see, what's that? <laughs> Let's see. Did anybody see that Brewer game last night? It's going to be worth it all, says basically, every heartache, every trial, every mile, it's going to be worth it all. What, what it's basically saying, folks, is I'm not promising you not, you're not going to have challenges. I'm not promising you're not going to crawl in here some days just hurting and torn up. That's going to happen. It's going to be the case. But the question is, are you going to be able to get up from it and say, it's okay. I'm going to dust myself off and I'm going to get back into the battle. That's the real key. The real key is what you do with it when it happens. And those of us that are prepared are going to be able to stand up and say, nope, devil, you think you got me down, but I'm not beat. I'm going to get ready to get back into the battle one more time in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.